Hello and welcome. I'm Christina Irvin, leader of Team Clarity. If you had told me I would be setting more healthy boundaries with my closest loved ones, not doing something out of guilt, and comfortable asking for the sale or setting prices equal to my worth in my business after such a short time in this course, I certainly would have told you no way. However, I'm doing all of those things and much, much more unapologetically these days. While you're grabbing a pen and piece of paper, consider this. Just how many people are actually paid to learn? Yes, you heard me correctly. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. And by the time I'm done with this course, I will have earned more than what I invested in this life-changing journey. You can always listen to our prior shows at bit.ly forward slash pay radio. And to get one reminder of our next show, click on the follow button at the top of the page. Now, it's time to dive in and let's get to work. Let's meet the rest of the team. Hi, this is Marcia Sertino and I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Hello, this is Chelsea Wells from the mountains of Tennessee. Have a blessed day. Hello and welcome from the gorgeous state of Wisconsin. This is Patty Anderson. And now, time for class. We can start off the conversation from our previous conversation. Me being more conscious and aware of social contracts. I've been more aware of just all the different performance-based contracts that I have in my life that I wasn't really consciously thinking of as a a performance-based contract. And even in my interactions with coaching clients and stuff, and I got to thinking about the importance of the lesson of when the contract, when it needs to be altered or changed in some way, having the discussion. And it always comes down to a person's intention. I know I'm guilty of thinking about, like, well, they know me. They know who I am, or they, they know what I'm thinking, or they know that I wouldn't in, intentionally be doing something out of this spirit versus another spirit, right? I'm asking somebody to be clairvoyant, right? <laughs> and, that's, and that's really not fair to them. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to anybody involved because I know when I'm on the receiving end of it, it's like, look, I know of you to have a certain integrity or a certain kind of heart space or whatever, but... I still am flying blind here, right? I've been a lot more conscious of that. Now, I'm just curious, Marcia, Chelsea, if you all had more conscious thought process when it comes to your performance-based contracts and, and your agreements. I have become more conscious of it. And it's like you said, I can't expect people to know what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling unless I actually discuss things with them. I definitely have been more conscious social contract that I am a mother. My son, who is 34, called me, he's around two, and he had an abscessed tooth, and apparently it had gotten so bad that he was in so much pain, he was in tears, which is not like him. So he calls to say that he's going to ER. I go there to be with him. And this is a testimony to pay me what I'm worth also. Initially, I just totally freaked out, and I shaking all over, getting hard to get my clothes on, going down the road. It's funny because I hear having what I'm worth going through my mind a lot, like there's a little soul up there (laughs) running around, and I was able to calm myself down because ever since my mom died, when emergencies pop up, I just totally fall apart. I wasn't like that before that. So by the time I got there, much calmer and able to do what I needed to do as his mother to be there with him, and make sure he was okay, something I take very seriously. 
but also at work, we started planning a party for one of the ladies who was leaving. Historically, I do all the planning. I make sure people give me money, blah, 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 and I let somebody else do it. Now, I'm participating, and I'm helping, but I'm not the lead on it. But it is funny that I think about so many things that I never thought of as a contract before that I think about that now. It's sneaky how just about everything I do is based on a contract. If you really ponder, I invite you all to ponder, literally everything from the moment we're conceived to the moment we die, possibly before that and after that, depending on your spiritual beliefs. (laughs) On the one hand, we seem to fear contracts. When we think of contracts, we think of these awful pieces of documents where lawyers have spent decades crafting it to screw us over and we're forced to sign them and life is going to be hell and blah, 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 blah. But as Christina was bringing up in our last class, which is a very valid point, and I think also, Chelsea, you mentioned this, every year when you sit down to your employee performance review, aren't you reviewing your contract? Absolutely. Yes. And when you're reviewing, that's the time you might want to renegotiate portions of what your responsibilities are, or at least talk about it. In most situations, at least in most employment situations, who holds the cards? Employer. Just how much negotiating do you feel confident you can do? Pretty much not. I have some leeway in negotiating. I can basically develop any program I want to at my facility. She gives us a lot of freedom, which is pretty cool. I think the most flexibility in negotiation I have is schedule amendments. My manager's really good. Like there should be work-life balance in it as as much as she can possibly allow for that. She's low on the totem pole. Her hands are tied from that perspective, but very good about if something pops up with my family and I have to rush home out of the blue, then I'm able to flex off time and make up time later on. And if I need to work from home from time to time, she allows for that too. So that's about as much negotiating I feel as possible other than some small milestones with projects. You are both very conscious of a balance between give and take. You're both very conscious of the contract of respect, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting when we start looking at some of the key words of Pay Me What I'm Worth. Respect, reputation, love, health, power, property. All of those are contracts, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our social contracts, as we stop and look at the power of this chapter... If you recall a few classes ago, I asked you to ponder the concept of meaning and continuity. Any particular guesstimates as to why I planted that seed about a month ago? I want to take a stab at it. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> With continuity, continuity feeds meaning in so many ways because continuity is essentially just maintaining the consistency of something over a given period of time. By consistently doing whatever the agreement is that, for example, because I've worked for my manager for over a decade now and I've consistently been true to my word and in my integrity and my quality of work, when I go to her for certain things, there's no questions asked. Yeah, it's granted. 
However, certain people on the team feel frustrated that they go to her and they always get a no. And it's because I consistently, over a decade, I have uh, held the continuity of integrity and quality and honesty with her in my work performance. Yeah? Christina, if out of the blue, your boss that you've had a wonderful relationship for the past decade started switching up your contract, started saying no to you without any particular reason why, started changing what you're supposed to be doing in your job without really consulting you, just basically said, look, I know that job description says blah, blah, blah. It's now going to be blah, blah, blah. Here it is. No feedback, no request, no input from you. Just here it is. Start doing this now. What would happen? I generally ask her, hey, what's the deal? <laughs> this is new. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the backstory? It's happened before. It, just, it comes up. <laughs> well, first off, it throws a monkey wrench in the continuity, right? Mm-hmm. You were operating under a set of uh, agreements that now they got changed out without your personal input. And remember, I have to stress once again, agreements are a two-way street. If it's truly an agreement, mutually agreed, that is a powerful agreement. With contracts, however, oftentimes most people are under the gun. Most people feel compelled or subservient or because of their circumstances in dire need, they'll sign a contract and agree to stuff that all things considered, they would rather not sign. But given the circumstances, they have imposed upon themselves the notion of not having a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a fair reflection? Yes. So one of the issues that this chapter addresses point blank when it comes to meaning and continuity, what's happening in our lives right now because of an increase in media attention to terrorism? Is it fair to say that terrorism is making us hyper alert to the terrors happening in our social contract like fairness, equality, love, respect? For sure. How is that factoring into our daily lives now? For example, the United States is supposed to be the land of the free who welcomes the melting pot of all people and all and appreciates all uh, worth of all people. But the notion that some governors of certain states think that they can just say, we will not accept someone from another country just because they're from another country that has heightened terrorism going on, the notion that we need to build bigger walls around the whole country and borders and, and we can choose who can go and come to continue to add to our blanket of what a, our great nation is supposed to be about is just... Uh, How does that impact you? Frustrating. Based off of where I live, this has been a frustrating week. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's adding turmoil, frustration to your day. Yeah. To the point where, like, I'm walking around, like, consistently with earphones in, so I don't have to hear the ignorance and stupidity. So I am ready to go in <laughs> and get all up on my soapbox. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So by having 
a clearer meaning. If you recall, I've invited you to embrace your pain throughout our journey by exploring it. Is that a fair summary? Yes. <laughs> so likewise, when our social contracts are being torn, when our social contracts seem to be in utter chaos, want to take a stab at how you renegotiate the contract, thus embrace it versus run from it or build a wall around it? Or I don't know that we can legislate order out of chaos. I don't know that that's been successful. Let me reframe this. Part of our journey together over this past 39 weeks is becoming more conscious of our potential. As we become more conscious of our potential, it's kind of a sweet and sour awareness. How do I come to say that? It's sweet in the confirmation that what I've always felt is really true. And as I continue to grow more and step more into that, i getting the feedback and the confirmation that it is so. But on the other end, it's sour in that it's like, whoa, <laughs> this is huge, and it's fast, and it's big. <laughs> so I guess it's that fear maybe, fear. Fear pops up and it's like, whoa, like am I equal to this task for real, for real or not? <laughs> Good observation. What else? Well, I was thinking how I've always been a person that just kind of dove into things, even if I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to that part of my life, I more or less have always done that, I guess. I don't know what I've done with the fear. I just would dive into things, and then things would happen, and that's it. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, we'd have us a big business if we could figure out how to suck all that right on out of your head and market it, put it in a bottle. <laughs> I've grown accustomed to doing that. Am I hearing you say, Marcia, the sweet has been that you have grown in skill and knowledge by having to figure things out, but oh, yeah. the sour has been what? I believe not enough time <laughs> for everything, but I still handle that as well because you have to negotiate some of that because you can't do everything. <laughs> There's not enough you time in the day. Would you agree that the sour has been maybe at times feeling underappreciated and taken advantage of? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But at the same time, it's also been very interesting because I can see my progress. I can see the difference in me now as I negotiate. This is an awesome chapter. I have to admit, I really am enjoying this chapter because I'm having to use some of my skills in negotiating with where I have to have more time for what my needs are. So you're saying that you're feeling more confident in, in yourself, in your worth to negotiate. Yes. Awesome. One of the more interesting aspects of this chapter also, and I sense all of you have bumped into this, all dressed up and no place to go. <laughs> Yeah. All dressed up and no place to go is similar to you can lead a horse to water, but you can't 
make it drink. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to tease out here? To me, that means that you can lead somebody, you can show somebody the direction, but you can't force them into that. You have Correct. to allow them the choice. Correct. And I You're think, all dressed up. And I think also part of stepping into realizing how big it can be and, and stepping into it also comes a responsibility when you get dressed up of understanding who and when and what kind of contracts you do establish with people. Some people, like Marsha was just saying, are not a certain place. Maybe you're not at a certain place. Maybe I'm not where they need to be, but for those people that I am in the right place for, that I can assist and are and they are re- ready to go, recognizing that they are ready to go is important, like how you form that contract. Yep, we're teasing out some finer points here. Chelsea, how many times have you encountered a client based on decades' worth of experience? You've advised them as to some of the better ways to accomplish something or what would be in their best interest, and they just look at you and go, no thanks. So many times, so many times. As teachers, as leaders, as guides, as people who have a passion to be of service. What are you learning about this role of being of service and contracts? That I can give all the best sage advice that I want to give with the best intentions for something that's a better plan for that person, but I can't make them do it. I learn that I have to be okay with that because it's their journey. I think I'm learning the importance of clarity, consistency, and specificity. Say that three times fast. (laughs) I definitely learned, even with the contract, don't ever have an expectation about it. (laughs) Those things can change just like that. (laughs) So true, Marcia, so true. So for me, one of the things that, again, I've become more conscious and aware of in the last few weeks is the importance of communication. Because social mm-hmm. contracts, our typical contract that we think of, that we dread, that we all bury our head in the sand from because we just like all, all that legalese, those kinds of contracts are not the challenge as much as the social contracts. Because the social contracts, they're not stamped with the legalese, right? The social contracts are the ones that are the most difficult because it's just that agreement. It's that spoken agreement. The lack of communication and continuity always breaks down the social contract. Bingo. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Think about this. Compassion. How much more of a powerful social contract and teacher could we engage, known as compassion? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Compassion starting with ourselves. Oftentimes, with my work with the Charter for Compassion, one of the more mm, daunting discussions that I engage with various chapters is reminiscent of our journey with balancing receiving with giving. More often than not, people associate compassion with an act or a word that I do for someone else. True? True. Mm-hmm. It's external. 
I'm compassionate towards someone who's fallen upon hard times. I'm more compassionate to the little child being fussy because of blah. We make up whatever story. I give myself approval to be more compassionate to another being based on whatever story I've made up in my head. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. When it comes to my own compassion, are you now more acutely aware of how Chapter 6 helps you become more compassionate with yourself by doing that mental laundry on a regular basis? I am. Honey, that you brought that back up because I was thinking just this week how I have been beating myself up because I'm trying to make something happen that is just not coming together with the effort that I'm putting into it and I'm beating myself up about it like I haven't been sleeping at all <laughs> as a result of this just continuously playing in my mind and me beating myself up. My fear, uh, having an aha moment right now, y'all. Forgive me. And my fear of not being able to make it happen. It, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's, it's almost paralyzed me to the point of not communicating. And I'm aware of that. I'm aware that I'm not communicating, and I'm aware, I'm aware of all the parts now, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a part of me that has been beating up on myself for not being able to make it happen and also for knowing better and not doing differently, <laughs> for making the choice not to do differently. I've been beating up on myself rather than to, as you say, soul integrate. <laughs> all dressed up. You know where you want to go. You've invited everybody, you've cooked the meal, you've placed the meal on the table, candles are lit, you're looking out the window going, where the hell is everybody? Is that an accurate reflection? That's good. This, ladies, is the most precious teacher for those who want to be teachers. This, ladies, is one of the reasons why I invite each of you to ponder how by living a life where you are just fundamentally happy. Happy. Genuinely happy. To me, happiness is one of the most sexiest qualities. Everyone is magnetized to happiness. There are some people who are repelled by happiness because they have made it a mission in their life to be unhappy. They are more happy when they are unhappy. Know anybody like that? (laughs) Yes, Lord. Oh, yes. There's at least one or two of those at the Thanksgiving table almost every year, yeah? Every year, Lord. <laughs> I will venture this notion for you to ponder as a contract in compassion. Once we've laid the table, and we've done everything we sense we're supposed to do. I've done everything I sense I'm supposed to do. I've had people tell me, Soul, you should be in the high seven-digit income earning bracket with what you're doing. You're doing everything right. You have a compelling class. You're an engaging person. You're doing things nobody else is doing. You should have tens of thousands of people in class every single minute of every single day. You should have classes in every single language. There should literally be millions of people taking pay me what I'm worth as we speak. What's going on? 
And I realize I have been banging the drum so hard and so loud for so long. I've prepared the food. The food is on the table. It's ready for you all when you want. Doors are always open. Let me know if you need help. In the meantime, I'm moving on to something else. And what I'm moving on to is creating a team of people who step-by-step, day-by-day, step into their potential. Whether they choose to teach, pay me what I'm worth or not, I now let that expectation go so that I remove the blocks, the pressure to drink. Got a little philosophical there. Thoughts? Crazy in line with what I was talking to Chelsea about before we started the call. Where we can jump into, and this piggybacks on what Chelsea was talking about earlier. This will get really into the deep end. This will get somewhat metaphysical. I will put those two disclaimers out there as we dive into this because it is one of the primary threads of Pay Me What I'm Worth. It is a core teaching that I have bathed myself in across all of the traditions that I am involved with. And the sacred contract that I'm referring to, we talk about in the very first few pages of Pay Me What I'm Worth. In the very first few pages, I talked about there is a dirty little secret that most folks want you to be ignorant about. And the dirty little secret is one word starts with C as in cat. Do you remember what that secret is? Try. How would it be if that which we consider divine interfered with choice, even to the most minutest degree? What would life be like if that which you lived your life by was under the control of some omnipotent being that dictated to you who you are, what you are, where you are, when you are, how you are, why you are, you really must basically follow what's dictated to you that has been deemed from the divine. What would life be like? I suppose if you were in line with it, that would be okay, but taking away my choice would not be a good thing. Well, you can choose to do what's being dictated to you or not, and if you choose not to be complying with what you are demanded to do, the repercussions will be you may lose the very fabric of life that you hold dear. I suppose that fear would keep you in line with what your higher power said that this is what you had to do if you were fear of losing your life. So here's our paradox. The most spiritual traditions that I am aligned with, that which is divine, categorically states, we are equal. I am to live up to my fullest potential. Anything less is sabotaging my contract with the divine. Thus, when I make mistakes... I choose to make mistakes. I choose to sabotage. I choose to throw a wrench into something that seems to be going along quite nicely. When I choose to tear it down, burn it up, that which I consider to be divine goes, oh, okay, well, let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) 
Isn't that the truth? Won't he do it? <laughs> yes. Do you suppose my inner controller has a slight hand at all of that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I can imagine that if I'm not fulfilling what I'm supposed to fulfill for myself, then I'm going to rob myself of a lot of joy. A lot of joy. Our sacred contracts, ladies, (laughs) is what the reason why Pay Me What I'm Worth exists. What is your sacred contract to yourself? That's huge. I was coaching a client yesterday, and... We got done with the session, and I literally was like, I know you expected this to be a a session where I was teaching you some marketing stuff, but I picked up on the other stuff (laughs) that needed to be addressed, value, their self-worth, confidence, all the things that we've been learning that was keeping them from being able to step into their true power and how much they actually do minister and, and to others that they didn't even realize it. And when we got done with the session, my client was like, "This I've never had done coaching or anything like this, and being able to be talk to someone and be so vulnerable with someone that I've never been vulnerable because I'm not comfortable doing it has been a blessing, quite honestly. It's, I'm so thankful that you get me below the surface and nobody's been ever able to get me below the surface and I'll give you a testimony any day (laughs) that kind of feedback that was for me an example of the ultimate payment because bingo that was like a chipping off of the top of that person's volcano of greatness. You provided a PIN code for her to access and wake up her potential, right? Right. So ladies, at the risk of creating an unrealistic contract with each of you, (laughs) the laugh. (laughs) Every time you experience that energy, Christina, is it accurate that you then feel unconditional love? Yes. There's our two-word contract. There's our two-word sacred contract, or one word depending on if you count a word that's hyphenated as one word. You now have a two-word sacred contract to live by. We've talked about it many times in many classes. Yeah? It's the task. It is the performance. It is the reward. And it is also the penalty. If there ever is, anything less than unconditional love is conditional love. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. Does conditional love really dive into it feel healthy? No. no. <laughs> it doesn't feel healthy to give or receive it. <laughs> Does conditional love make you happy? No. It might. 
It can be dressed up. I can give you yes. this diamond ring and propose to you on the conditions that you will be my partner and you will do what I say when I tell you to do it. How many marriages are entered into because there's one person who so desperately wants out of the life that they're in mm-hmm. that they will contract their love to get out of it? Whoa. I ain't even going to comment on that. <laughs> That's like, whoa. That's, that is so prevalent and so true, and I think oftentimes, too, that we dress up conditional love under the false sense of security because we don't want to address those empty places in our own soul. Mm-hmm. This deeper spiritual contract stuff, I invite you to explore. I invite you to drink deeply from the gift of divine choice. By drinking in that divine choice, marrying it with your explorer, you've got your gateway into your accessing fullest potential. This chapter prepares us to get into ethics and integrity. This chapter prepares us to feed back into chapter 6, into loads of mental laundry, such that as I think about those times where I've broken my own contracts, I've been less than compassionate with myself or with someone else. I have purposefully sabotaged myself, thus sabotaging other people. I was doing that quite successfully for many years up until the point where I got to 300 and I think 46 pounds. And then I realized, what's the deal here? What's going on? And when I started tapping into my potential, when I started tapping into my sacred contract, when my sacred contract to be of service started unfolding itself, unraveling itself, giving me visions of what the potential is of inspiring just one other person to wake up to their sense of worth. And that one other person inspires one other person to wake up to their sense of worth. And those three other people who wake up to their sense of worth inspire three other people to wake up to their sense of worth. And so on. And so on. Blows my mind. So thank you for diving into this journey, helping one of my dreams become realities. So what are your sacred contracts? Let's talk about that. What do you sense to be, right now, this moment in time, a sacred contract that you have with and by and for yourself only? I think I'd like to dive into exploring that Because I've never really done a sacred contract, and I just love that whole word, sacred contract. I know part of my sacred contract is that I'm going to keep exploring myself and my worth. I'm going to give myself a hug every single day. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Chapter 8, I lead off an example of a contract with a simple task of drinking a glass of water, that's a sacred contract. Why? Because you're loving yourself by taking care of yourself, hydrating yourself, 
and staying. Bingo. And and being impeccable with your word, with yourself. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Have you ever noticed that dehydration brings upon the physical characteristics of tiredness, cloudiness, easier to become more angry more quickly? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Get out of my head, soul. Didn't I just say this, Chelsea? Yeah. I, I was just saying this. I was just talking to Chelsea about this. I was like, I'm totally dehydrated. I need, I need more water because I'm cramping. My muscles are cramping so much, and I'm just exhausted, and I'm over people. I don't even want to deal with people. This is the most I've not wanted to deal with people in a long time. Yeah, I experienced that at work. And when I do, sometimes I'll turn to my partner in crime and go, I really don't like people today. <laughs> and I think it's just me. <laughs> no. I say is drinking a glass of purified water every hour for eight hours a day is a sacred contract because I'm abundantly aware, at least from what most doctors have told me, our brains are mostly water. From what I understand from most medical people, the first place my body will begin to draw water out of when it feels thirsty is my brain. Hmm. And and when I was counseled and schooled by a variety of nutritionists that only water, purified water, is a way to hydrate. Anything else, even water with a squeeze of lemon, teas, sodas, coffees, any beverages other than water, is food. Our body requires water water to digest food. I have people telling me, Soul, I'm constantly drinking a cup of tea. I'm constantly having this. I'm const- What are you talking about? I'm drinking all the time. And it's like, no, you're eating all the time. Unless you're drinking water, just water. You are not drinking. You are eating. To this day, I can remember finishing off three large pizzas and four liters of soda water while watching a movie and still feeling hungry. Now I know why. Wild, huh? Mm-hmm. A sacred contract that I've made with myself lately is to continue on with being okay with not having to have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G for a decision right now in the moment being able to feel into that decision without the pressure. Because that keeps me from my old patterns of acting out of doubt, guilt, shame, or worry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So is your sacred contract observation? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for giving it a word, Saul. The most powerful shamans I know, the first decade of their training is spent learning how to observe Observe to the point that they can read the hundreds of muscles on your face and they can read it so well that they can walk up to you as a complete stranger and go blah, 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 and you'll go, who are you? (laughs) Our gift of sight has the ability to understand and translate the most subtlest of movements and changes, yeah? Mm -hmm. So as we give that gift of observation, the sixth dimension, our intuition, 
Is it fair to say, Christina, that you're allowing your intuition back into the game by observing? Oh, yeah. My intuition is like a good sixth man in a basketball team's rotation. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, Marsha, you're beginning to recognize that you are so in alignment with your intuition now. It's almost like breathing, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Is it energizing you? Yes. Marcia, is that that synergy making you want to like bounce off the walls at times? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> I have to ground myself. <laughs> Slow down. Sometimes when you get off the phone when you're talking with someone, Marcia, you've taken the opportunity to step into it. You get off the phone, and you're like, yeah, a little jig. Do you dance a little jig, girl? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so proud of myself after after I get off the phone. I sometimes I don't even know, okay, how am I going to approach this person, what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter. As soon as I'm talking to them, what comes out comes out. And then after I get off the phone, I am so proud of myself. I feel so good that I actually did it. Yeah. I've awesome. had moments where it, it comes out of my mouth and I get off the phone and I'm like, man, I wish I was recording that because I have no idea what I said, what made me say it, how I said it, how, why it was so effective. Nothing. I sh- yeah. I have no idea, and I want to be able to recreate it. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, I can recreate it because I, it came from inside me. It's like it's coming out of the mouth of the divine, so what do you expect, right? <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I still want to replay that in slow-mo <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so that I can savor it, as Paul says. <laughs> so you're getting more in touch with the fact that the sacred contract that we all have with our potential is always there, no matter what we do. Yeah, absolutely. The tricky part that I'm teasing out in Chapter 8 is much like putting our hands on the steering wheel for the very first time. We're in a car that can take us anywhere we want to go. In order to get there, we've got to at least get in the car, right? (laughs) (laughs) So true. And once we're in the car, now what? Are you going to be a passenger or are you going to be the driver? There are times where I recognize I need to switch myself from the driver's side to the passenger side so that I can observe. Where have I heard that word before, observe? Hmm, let me think. <laughs> so next class ends our journey with performance-based contracts. On week 40, we are finishing up all of our heavy lifting. As you begin to ponder writing your one-page worth passport for page eight, summarizing what you've experienced in performance-based contracts, which you're learning, I do invite you to just quickly read through chapter nine. Temper yourself such that as you're thinking about contracts, especially the performance part, in chapter nine we talk about ethics as being fairly simple. Word equal sign deed. What I say is what I do. That's ethics. Done. Not too mysterious there. As I'm writing contracts, I have to be acutely aware is what I'm writing what I can really do. I know that I can drink a glass of water every hour on the hour for at least eight hours while I'm awake. That I know I can do, more or less, barring traveling, other circumstances, things like that. There's some wiggle room there, but I know I can do that. And I'm too fundamentally aware of the drawbacks, the penalties, if I don't. Do I want to grow to be 340-some pounds again in my life? God, no. (laughs) 
But I have the divine right. I have the gift of choice that if I choose to do that, I can. I can commit socially accepted suicide, becoming so morbidly obese that I'll stroke out. To conclude our journey, next class, what do you choose to contract with yourself that's in granite? Meaning, for at least the next period of time, there's no wiggle room. It becomes your mission statement. Christina, what's the purpose of a mission statement? To set the path forward. Correct. And that mission statement gives you the railroad tracks in which to run your train on, right? Mm -hmm. So in our next class, I ask each of you to come up with a mission statement that you feel confident that you can stick to, barring even the most cataclysmic events in life. You're still going to be true to that mission statement. That is your contract. A mission statement is a contract. Feel the confidence of that when you do it. It's like putting your stake in the ground. One of the things that helps us be paid what our worth is we put a stake in the ground. And there may be times where it feels like that stake is going to get washed away because of different dramas and traumas. But being mindful of what that stake is, what the mission statement is, gives us the confidence to see it through. That's good stuff. I like that. Confidence, because oftentimes we won't put a stake in the ground just because we don't have the confidence or we, or we, the fear takes over. And Yeah, I like that. It's easy for confidence to experience worth decay. When I put a stake in the ground and I've done everything everybody tells me I'm supposed to do, all the experts, yep, you did everything you're supposed to do. And then whatever it is that I put the stake in the ground doesn't seem to be happening. It's very easy for my confidence to go, oh, God, what did I forget? Or why isn't this working? Or how come nobody's showing up for my dinner? Yep. And, and, and then start beating up on yourself about it. Mm-hmm. Christina, know of anybody who does that beating up on themselves? You better reach oh, out I'm to the queen of that, boo. I got that. <laughs> oh, lot. <laughs> we have the expert. We have an expert on the phone today on beating ourselves up. Meet Christina. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that magical aha time. Any ahas today? Having a contract with myself to always be loving and gentle with myself as much as I would others. Mindful of at times that that loving, that unconditional loving, Chelsea, might mean actually touching and releasing pain. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a huge part of me loving myself. My aha, I am looking forward to actually doing a sacred contract for myself because I can see how that's going to help me step into my role fully. I can see how that mission statement can outline the the whole sacred contract. Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) Well, my aha. Which one are you going to pick? Yeah, I'm literally trying to go through my mind and see which one is the biggest. I think I'm having an emotional moment. Uh, I think my aha is going to be that my rewiring process, the stability of my rewiring, very contingent upon me integrating, taking the action, even in the moments when it is uncomfortable or when my ego is bruised or despite whatever. Otherwise, I'll go back and revert back to the old stuff. I feel so exposed right now. (laughs) This time period that we're entering is rife with moments 
where our old, old programming will sneak back in. Very true. So I'm going to ask each of you, as you think about your sacred contracts, think about what are some of your triggers that you know the door will open up to your old habits? What will trigger you, right? We've all heard that word before in our counseling days, triggers. Chelsea, do you want to take a stab at defining trigger? A trigger is something that can come in many shapes, form, and fashion, a sound, a smell, a word that triggers a memory that's either good or bad. So think about some of the triggers that are coming up. Chaos can trigger us to do a number of things or the sense of being out of control, the sense of being subservient such that I'm the child, I have to placate my parents. Think of those triggers so that as you're writing your mission statement, think of those triggers being mindful of how your mission statement may very well put in front of you some potent triggers to be teachers. Thank you for listening. Any personal ahas of your own? As one of many Pay Me What I'm Worth team captains, it's my role to help you get serious about removing blocks to your success as well as live a more stress-free, confident life. Wonder if this course is for you? If you are a serious action taker committed to playing big in life and being your best you, I look forward to seeing you in my next class. Call me at area code 423-737-5809. Again, that's 423-737-5809 to talk about your next steps. Before you go, let's continue this discussion in the comment box below. You can always help other people have breakthrough moments when you share this show across your social media. I look forward to speaking with you. You're listening to Christina Irvin, one of the many team captains for Pay Radio. Definitely radio worth listening to. Have a great day.